Hey, everybody. I've got a little bit of housekeeping here before we get into the episode about Instagram and Theology Beer Camp. So I've been getting more active on Instagram, and I just want to let you guys know, in case you want to see me make some videos where I look directly into the camera, I'm sharing some stories and posts about basically all the topics that we cover on this show over at Instagram.com slash Dan Coke. That's C-O-K-E, and the link is in the show notes. Also, Theology Beer Camp is returning in 2024, October 17th through 19th. The theme is Return of the God Pods. That is a Lord of the Rings reference, which should surprise nobody. I will be there alongside Brian McLaren, Diana Butler-Bass, the New Evangelicals, Bible for Normal People, Tony and Josh from GGCH, of course, Trip Fuller and Homebrewed Christianity, and a whole grip of others. And you can use the promo code RETURNOFYHP, all one word, for $25 off your ticket. Prices go up starting June 1st. That link will be in the notes. I hope to see a bunch of you guys there in October. It was a serious highlight of last year for me. So this conversation today is not any kind of a comprehensive look at what occurred yesterday in Washington, D.C. It is more a conversation that was supposed to be about something else, but felt like it really couldn't be, given the circumstances. So there are some very good angles on that event yesterday, like, for instance, the disparity between the way that police officers uh, treat black rioters versus white rioters. That is something I am very saddened by and very interested in. It does not come up in this conversation today. John and I are processing our own stuff, and that's kind of all we're doing. We're doing it in real time, hoping that it'll be helpful for some of you as well. I found it very helpful. Uh, John really has a kind of a pastoral heart, as well as, of course, being a great musician. And I felt like he had some stuff that really helped and challenged me, and I was able to get some of my own processing out there as well. So, okay, let's just get into it. Uh, John Van Dusen. Thank you so much, man, for being here. Uh, It is January 7th, the day after the armed insurrection at the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. We had this on the books for a month now. We were supposed to do a follow-up conversation for patrons uh, from our episode, uh, I don't know, maybe it's two months ago now, a month and a half ago that it came out. It was ended up being a shorter conversation, and we were going to add to it and talk some more about Christian art and uh, thoughts we'd had on the subject since then. And then yesterday happened. Mm-hmm. And so we're not going to talk about that. No, I don't think so. We're going to, because we can't help it. We're going to talk about yesterday. And, you know, this is the day after. It's 4 p.m. Pacific time here. Uh, we haven't had a lot of time to process it, but we've both slept on it. And um, I, I have very strong feelings around it. I imagine you do as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I was saying to you earlier, my brain kind of feels like mush. 
I, I feel strongly, but in many ways, I actually don't know how to describe how I feel. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I think that that's a pretty normal experience when something is so fresh and mm-hmm. so emotionally charged. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that emotional is the only kind of charge maybe for something like yesterday because we weren't there. Uh, we're not having actual flight or flight, fight or flight responses in terms of being uh, in proximity to danger. Mm-hmm. Although I'm sure it was triggering for a number of people and does trigger that kind of adrenaline system response. But mm-hmm. for most of us, it's just like, what does this mean? What is going like, where do we live? Do we live in America or Venezuela? Like, mm-hmm. and, and then also with the, the kind of the dread that I had been feeling for months now, as I, as I knew that Trump would not concede, would not, you know, like seems incapable of admitting that he lost. And so given the amount of power he has and the tens of millions of people who are unswervingly loyal to him, this kind of thing did not surprise me when I first learned of it. I wasn't, it didn't, I didn't think, Oh, this is something I never anticipated, Mm -hmm. but then it's (laughs) there and you're watching it. And there's a Confederate flag in the Capitol building. And there is a guy in a fucking animal head costume sitting behind in the vice president's chair in the Mm -hmm. Senate room. And it's like, uh, it feels like a, movie or a crazy television show doesn't feel like reality yeah you know it felt that way to me and then about 20 minutes ago i watched the video and i i would not encourage anybody to watch this um i actually kind of accidentally clicked on it i watched the video of the woman getting shot oh where she's coming through the window and a uh an officer or I don't know, a security official, whatever shoots her. And man, it hit me really hard. And I think I, you know, I know what you, what you mean. It kind of feels like a strange dream and in a world so saturated with crazy news, it all just kind of blends together into one long nightmare (laughs) but when i watched this woman get shot and the way that she falls back onto the ground it really got me and it the only thing other than feeling emotional the only thing i could think of saying out loud or praying was basically how and i know everybody's asking this question like how did it how did this happen you know in her case this i think air force veteran like what brought her to this place where she really believed that to storm through this broken glass was a, was the right thing to do. You know, what's going on, what was going on in her heart, in her head. Yeah. To lead her to make that decision, you know, the energy of the moment, the last five years, PTSD, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I just, it's, I'm now I'm just kind of filled with sadness because what I, I know that the answer to a lot of our problems is empathy. And so what I want to do is be empathetic towards those who were there even. And I know that sounds kind of strange, but what I mean is I want to try to establish for myself and for others why 
why is this happening and why do they believe they're doing the right thing? Yeah. And yeah, That's at the same to time, answer I'm very, that question. it I mean, is a complicated question, right? Yeah. You know, yeah, you're right. It is an answer I don't have, or it's a question I don't have an answer for. And I, um, I'm very saddened by that. And, you know, the other thing that's troubling me is the kind of radio silence I'm getting from a lot of the Christians I know. Right. Not, not the people I work with, not my family, not my family members, not even congregants here, but in the like more localized church and just friends I have who are Christians. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of now granted we're not hanging out right now, but there's not a lot of public, even just posting on Facebook or anything just to say, this isn't right. And that, um, that's better than what I, uh, doom scrolled my own way to on Facebook yesterday, checking a couple choice accounts and finding articles about how, yeah, those few people who went in were bad apples and maybe they were Antifa, but Antifa, I'm, right. <laughs> I'm so proud of the thousands of Patriots who made their voices heard, you know, outside the Capitol. It's like, that made me very upset to read that. And I shouldn't have gone looking for that. And I knew I would find something like that. And I did. And then I regretted it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like its own. I, I, for me, I wonder that is like almost the largest part of the frustration is frustration with, uh, supposedly fellow Christians, um, mm-hmm. around this stuff. L- let's just, let's a little, do a little bit of nuts and bolts. Um, just setting it up. Like when did you hear about it? Were you able, did you keep working? Did you kind of follow the news all day? Like I did. What, what was yesterday like for you? Um, I was working in the office here in my office and, uh, pastor Stephanie, my boss, um, she called out cause I, if our doors are open, I can hear her. And she just basically asked if I knew what was going on. Yeah. And so, you know, I masked up and went over there and our office manager was also in. And, um, we all just kind of had a moment of, is this really happening? They basically said, you know, there's some, there's a very large group of pro Trump protesters who are, part of the stop the steal movement. And they have, as far as we know, you know, broken into the Capitol building. And so I, anyways, I came back to my office and then started visiting all of my news sites that I read. And um, basically it derailed my ability to work. Oh, totally. I didn't get, I got shit done yesterday. Exactly. And I got a little bit here and there, but not really anything. Yeah. I got super emotional at one point, um, tried to process with, Stephanie, my boss, and um, went home and then came back and we had a Vespers evening prayer service that I helped run. And um, that actually was really good for my, for me to just um, pray. And, you know, we're a fairly liberal Presbyterian church, but we, a lot of our prayers here, our prayer services have to do with praying for our country, praying for our leaders, right? Not really taking sides, but just really asking for God's favor and forgiveness, et cetera. And so that really helped me last night. And um, well, I want to put a pin, pin in that. I'd actually, I'd like to end on a hopeful note. So let's, let's save the things that we're doing that seem to be working. Okay. Yeah, for, <laughs> for sure. Because I don't think there's going to be a ton of hope in this conversation. So I want to, I want to backload it. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, so my sim- situation was similar. I was, um, I was up having, I don't remember what time it was. Maybe it must've been like breakfast with, uh, 
with my wife and my son and got a text from a buddy and it was like, oh my, you know, all hell is broken loose. And and then from that point on, I was basically just on Twitter. I had cable news on half the day, which is very rare. I very rarely watch that. Um, I guess not cable news, uh, whatever, like NBC, ABC, PBS news hour, the free, the free ones. Um, <laughs> but, um, it was, it was crazy. I, I, I want to know if you had a similar experience to me. I, I definitely had at least two very distinct emotional phases yesterday and today has been a little calmer and a little more distance, but early on in the day, especially before there were any um, reports of anybody being killed or potentially fatally wounded. So before that was a part of the story, um, I was initially feeling like vindicated, almost like, uh, okay, finally everybody can see like what Mm -hmm. this guy is. And I'm not happy. Happy is the wrong word. Elated is the wrong word, but like energized and, like, you know, realistically, not that much is going to happen. And this is maybe a very good, like, wake-up call. So I would honestly say largely positive. Interested, <laughs> horrified, but, like, mm-hmm. relieved in a kind of a way. It was a wake-up call. Yeah. But then, man, in the evening, the grief hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, there was some grief about, you know, the the loss of life in the actual event it's harder for me to connect to, to stuff like that when I don't, you know, have a personal connection, but a lot of grief around these Facebook posts that I mentioned earlier that I came across and, and just like uh, the kind of doom of knowing how people who have been loyal to Trump will almost definitely react to this. Um, and there, there's a thing that uh, we can come back to this because I want to hear your, if you had emotional stages too. But I would like to talk about this where it's like every time something really egregious has happened, it's almost like a, a re-traumatization of a sort mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. like what all is going on because it's like, well, oh, this will be the, the final straw. Oh, mm-hmm. this will be the final straw. And every time that it's not the final straw, it's like it's the whole wound is opened up again, it feels like, or maybe partially opened up. And so we can come back to that, but um, that that's what I think happened last night with, with mm-hmm. the grief was like, and I, I literally actually just came out of therapy. <laughs> I just ended my therapy zoom call and started this zoom call with you. And can you be my therapist now? <laughs> I am therapist not licensed. In training. I'll do my best as a therapist mm-hmm. in training, but like All right. <laughs> he was calling it a, a trauma event. And I think that that like, I'm very hesitant to apply that word to myself, generally mm-hmm. speaking. I, I think probably for like dumb ego reasons or masculinities, <laughs> you know, kind of bullshit. But it really resonated when he uses used that word. And so the, I, we can come back to that. But f- first, tell me if you had those emotional stages kind of like I had. I'm curious. Uh, I think I came into it too late in the game to have that, that first response that you described. Okay. Um. There was an initial trauma. I, I, that was the word that came to my lips immediately after I'd sat in it for probably 15 minutes. I, I said out loud, like, I feel a trauma. This feels traumatizing. Yeah. I, f- I felt fragile and hurt. And, you know, not to misuse the term, as you said as well, but that's just how I felt. 
I got on Facebook because what I wanted to do immediately was denounce it publicly. Hmm. And I must have written a post on my, my personal Facebook like a million times. And it went from, and it's funny, I actually think I went through all the <laughs> probably different emotional stages, even just trying to figure out what to say. Everything from like, hello, American church, where have you gone to hide? Um, to like really honestly kind of mean things that I wanted to say. Oh yeah. Things like, you know, if you're still, if you're still with him, with Trump, you're not with me. I don't understand how you, I don't think we can be friends anymore. You know, really um, probably unwise things. You didn't, you didn't post on Facebook. You're just saying them now on a public podcast. Sure. You didn't post them though. Yeah. I'm okay saying it, saying it in this space because I think it represents, it represents in that moment, you know, true emotions of mine. I was very angry. I was flabbergasted. I was, of course. And I started, I started all those status updates in my head as well. I would throw in texts to particular people. What do you think about this? You know, sir. Uh, and that I didn't send, but like, you know, I, so of course I, I relate and I'm, I'm just giving you a hard time about seeing it on the show. I wanted to send a couple, are you glad you voted for Trump text messages? Yeah. Um, and it's funny because this, it, it just, it would do, it does no good. And I ended up posting, you know, blessed are the peacemakers on my Facebook because I just wanted to say something. And I, honestly, I don't even know if I made a good point. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't even know if people got what I was saying, but I think the second phase of grief that hit me is the one that's still hitting me right now. And it is as a Christian, I feel a massive gulf between myself and what I see of the American church. And it's really starting to hurt. Like I feel I'm very upset. And I, um, I spent some time before this interview on a Jericho walk, um, Jericho prayer walk, uh, website. Cause I was curious. I was trying to figure out like, yeah, what so is this, this is one per- of those, there was like a conference. It's, it's really tied in with all this stuff, but it's super evangelical tinged and very overtly Christian. Right. Oh yes. And you know, they've been doing these prayer rallies where they blow their shofars and they, they pray against communism and they pray for president Trump and they pray that the election will get overturned. Yeah. And I think part of my grief is I feel so far away from those people. I don't know how they've, I don't understand how they've arrived at this belief system. And it just, it's upsetting to me. And I, yeah. Reading this website, you know, I watched, I think what's, what's her name? Uh, Michelle Bachman. Is that her name? (laughs) Yeah. I watched her pray. I watched her pray like on this live. It had been recorded live and she's praying over our country and for the president and, I don't, as a Christian who prays, whose faith is very important to me, I don't actually know what to do with that. I feel, so maybe this is where you could be the therapist in training. <laughs> I, I am lost. Like I, that's where it's, there's a cliff in front of me. I don't know where to go from there. I feel, I feel all of the feelings <laughs> about that. So yeah. that's what I'm still feeling. So I felt when I went to bed. It's what I felt when I woke up here I am working at church today, you know, building chord charts and, you know, thinking through worship services and that 
that reality of this, this space, this gulf between myself and what feels like the majority of American Christians just feels very um, bleak. It's like a, it's like a wasteland between myself and them. And I don't understand why we're so far apart. Well, and it's interesting. It's got to be kind of ratcheted up by the fact that you actually do this for your job. I mean, you're a minister. I am. (laughs) And so you're like at work doing your ministry work and, and like all the while having this in the background of like this very overtly. And there was multiple like Jesus saves Jesus 2020, the Christian flag made it into the Senate chamber. Um, It was, it was a pretty overtly Christian backed uh, little insurrection that we had here yesterday. And so I, I can't imagine that that's, yeah, there's another angle and I'm not, you know, I'm not a minister professionally. Obviously this podcast is, um, ministry adjacent. I consider it a ministry of sorts. Um, but that would, yeah, I guess that would make it even stronger. Um, you know, I'm not going to really do any sort of amateur therapy here. No, you, you <laughs> I, don't need to. I, I was just kidding. I, I know, but I, what I do want to do, which is kind of amateur therapy is stick with the emotions, but I, I want to say one non-emotional thing, which is an interesting question um, that I have about this, which is, you know, genuinely, we both say Jesus Christ, uh, but otherwise, like, is it actually the same religion? I mean, I don't, I'm not sure. And I don't know. I always feel, I feel very uncomfortable. Um, I feel very uncomfortable being the arbiter of what counts as Christianity. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't like saying things like they have strayed, uh, they are lost, they have forsaken the gospel for another gospel. I don't like saying that. I also don't know what other conclusion to come to. Mm. It sure does seem like that is what's going on, that it is uh, not, (laughs) it's not the gospel. And so I don't know. I mean, this is when I wish we had a couple of theologians with us right now to hash this out, but maybe it's better. We don't because most people aren't true theologians. We are, I like to read, but I am definitely not a theologian, but I will say I was reading in first Corinthians today and Paul has some pretty strong words about the church and even uh, keeping some people out of it. And that really disrupted me. And it was really interesting timing considering what's happening. And I, you know, I think to myself, if I had a small house church and there was a QAnon believing Trump supporter who was praying for the election to be overturned and, you know, had some really strong beliefs that I, I just blatantly disagree with. And I don't even see as, you know, congruent with the gospel. I think I'd have a difficult time knowing whether or not we were a part of the same faith. And I also just finished this book about Magellan's, sorry, this is going to seem like it's out of left field, but it's actually been really potent, potent for me about Magellan's voyage, you know, which ends in tragedy. He's cut to pieces somewhere in like the Philippines. Um, and he was a Christian who did terrible things in the name of Christ, but his journals, his writings, the things that have been recorded of him, his faith seemed very genuine. So my question for myself has been, is it just true of all of us that we 
can you be a believer in Christ who's being transformed by the power of God while also holding so many wrong beliefs while simultaneously being, you know, your faith is diluted by your culture or your, the, however you were trained as a child or, you know, name a whole list of things that influence how we believe in our, in our worldview. So I've just been thinking about this a lot and I, I don't want to go as far as to say that those people who marched in the Capitol are not Christians. Like you said, you know, I felt that way about Mike Pence before because his faith, (laughs) it seems genuine, right? But we're so different. And he, his, he's done things that I'm so confused by. And I don't want to judge him. um, But he's a good example of a public figure that I feel so far away from. And yet I wonder if Mike Pence was to walk into Westminster Presbyterian Church, would he worship his heart out while I sang, you know, holy, holy, holy? And I, I have no idea. And I don't know how to feel about that. Wow. That is a really, that's a really hard and interesting question of like, yeah. I mean, in one sense, um, if being a Christian is seeking God, through the Christian tradition, then everybody that does is in whether like, no matter how good they end up being at it, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no, you know, sure. uh, in that sense, it's, it's a simple, it's kind of a simpler answer of like, yeah, in that moment, he is acting Christianly, you know, he's, he's seeking God. And now how effective that will be in that moment. There's a lot of factors, right. That, mm-hmm. that go into that. Um, so there, so there's that, but there's like to the, so maybe it's not, and you know, I'm a universalist anyway. So it's not like I think that the status of being a Christian means that you will, well, I guess I don't, I don't really know what happens when we die. And I don't know that there is like a different (laughs) status. You know, I don't know that it has an impact on like how God will treat you or whatever. When Mm. that all goes down, I just, I don't know. I, I have to be kind of agnostic about that given some other things that I believe. But what I, what I mean is like in, in some sense, it doesn't matter what the status is. It's just like we could put it this way. Maybe we don't need to look at the people and go, how could Mike Pence and I both be a Christian? But it's more like to the extent that Mike Pence is serving Christian nationalism mm-hmm. in to that extent, he's not serving Christ. And that is something I feel pretty confident saying. Mm-hmm. And that's a little different than saying, how are he and I as people part of the same in-group of Christians or not or whatever? And maybe that in-group thing is the kind of thing that should be resisted. I'm just kind of, I'm riffing here. I don't know. You are, but that's okay. I think I know what you're saying. And I think <laughs> you are. <laughs> no, no, I think you are in that like, well, I'm watching you process is basically what I, what I mean. Processing. Yeah. And I think it's, oh man, I don't even know how to say all the things I'm feeling, but I, I think you're right. It's almost like my beef necessarily isn't necessarily with Mike Pence. My beef is with Christian nationalism or like at the same time, wanting to hold accountable the people that are still like peddling QAnon conspiracy theories and then attaching them to my Lord and savior who is the most precious and is the most precious thing in the world to me. It makes me mad. Right. And so 
And it's funny because it brings me right back to that woman who was shot and killed. And I want to say that is a terrible tragedy. It breaks my heart on so many levels. And she wasn't my enemy, but it feels like there is an enemy. That's the thing. And that now, I mean, we could talk about this for a long time, but now we're getting into like, what is evil and (laughs) who's responsible? And, you know, we can bring it right, right to the, the crux of the matter in this case, which is, is Donald Trump responsible? Like, here's a man whom, no matter how hard we try, we don't really know. But what we do see is his, we see his actions. We see the fruit of his behavior, his words. And I feel rotten inside when I hear him speak. And I pray for him. And honestly, I come before God and I say, Lord, I don't want to judge him because um, I don't really know him, but by his fruit, I feel so overwhelmed and not in a good way by the things he's done and he's still doing. How are you supposed to pray for that man? Like, what are you supposed to pray? You know, when the other side is praying, the other side being like the shofar blowing Jericho marching Christians, that he stays in power. What am I supposed to pray? Yeah. I'm asking you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're asking me what you're supposed to pray? Yeah. What am I supposed to pray? (laughs) <laughs> that is a great question. <laughs> maybe maybe we can pray that truth would come out. Maybe we can pray that justice would be done. I mean, there are, there are biblical prin- principles. There are things in Christ's teaching that we can pray for that do not assume that we know, mm-hmm. you know, like that we are the arbiters. Mm-hmm. Probably it's a time for that. But I think it's... I do also think that like I've been thinking a lot about love your enemies, not in terms of how to love them, but that I'm so reluctant to consider someone my enemy hmm. and that, oh, I think I've got some enemies mm-hmm. and, and like they're enemies precisely because of the way that they have used Christianity. Like Steve Bannon, I think of as way less my entity than Franklin Graham. Steve Bannon has way more power than Franklin Graham or at least had way Mm -hmm. more power, but he's not doing it in the name of Christianity. Right. And so he doesn't feel like my enemy. I mean, I guess insofar as he's the, he was the political advisor of my political enemy, Trump. Uh, But like, you know what I mean? Like the enemy's part is stronger because they're using Jesus's name. And that's something that I think is kind of unendingly interesting and worth, I don't know, sitting with a little bit. Yeah. I've thought about that a bit. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm currently on Jack. I don't know how you say his name. Po- Pozo Biek. Pozo Biek. I don't know He's who a, this is. His Twitter profile says Christian veteran Navy Intel officer, China analyst, watch Antifa movie. Oh, okay. And his posts are, you know, he has a lot of yeah. followers. He has 1.2 million followers and great. Um, you know, I'm, scrolling through his feed, trying to determine what he's all about. And I don't want to call him my enemy. Yeah. Um, but we definitely could yell at each other for a while. I mean, enemies can become friends, right? Like, I wonder how much of it is, I wonder if our reluctance that we both appear to have to consider someone an enemy is is actually unhelpful. That we confuse peacefulness with 
placation or, you know, like, um, what's it called? Like uh, my wife is like this. She's like, a the, uh, often the wrong kind of peacemaker where it's, it's her own. I'm, I'm not trying to throw her under the bus here. She's a wonderful, wonderful woman, but you know, she can, she can become a doormat to keep everybody happy so that no one is mad at her and mm. she doesn't have to feel. So that's a kind of peacemaking, but it's like a cheap peacemaking. And she would agree. Of course, it's not the only kind of peacemaking she does, but when we do that kind like maybe we are, maybe we are not using forceful enough language and concepts in our own mind for the real enemy but while keeping the door open to reconciliation with the enemy. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense to me. But my, my problem personally is how do I determine who is my enemy? Because sure, Franklin Graham is a great example. Like we disagree on a lot and his, his unwavering support of Trump has been discon- it, it's It's concerned me and it's troubled me. But what I want to believe is that if I was to, sit down and have a conversation with him from an empathetic and wise perspective, I could begin to unravel why he is doing these things. And that's why I'm hesitant to call him my enemy. Um, but and- don't, don't like real commanders, for instance, let's, let's get real concrete here. Mm-hmm. And I know you are vehemently anti-war, but let's say that you <laughs> let's talk about general Eisenhower in world war two, trying to defeat Hitler or something. Sure. I mean, he's going to try uh, and understand Hitler. That's like, true. You know what I'm saying? Like, so even true. in true enemy situations, empathy is not necessarily separate. No, that's true. And Oh man, bringing in the, the war analogy is it kind of levels things up and I was going I was always going to do it with you that was I have it written down to bring up because it's part of your story people might recall from our conversation and it it relates in a way that probably hit you in a different way than things hit me yesterday well <laughs> the, it's funny when you bring up war trying to understand your enemy um it's I immediately think of August 6th 1945 we <laughs> Our country dropped a bomb that killed hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. And we did that in order to, to prevent a land invasion of Japan. Right? That's what we would be told by the commanders yeah. who are making these choices. Sure. And if you read John Hersey's Hiroshima, one of the most stunning things I've ever read is the account of one of the um, Christian priests who's there. And – that this is one of the reasons why Christian nationalism is so disturbing to me. But, and this is, I, I feel like I'm, I'm stepping off into an abyss of thought, but um, I don't know how I would have felt in World War II. You know, how would I have felt if I had been fighting in Germany? Because they were our enemies, yet many were probably followers of Christ. Um, you know, having spent a ton of time in Germany in, in many villages that were completely destroyed by war, meeting those people, those wonderful people. And what I'm trying to say is um, empathy is like, it is, I don't, I don't have the words right now. It's it's okay. It's so unbelievably important. And truthfully, I want to feel, I want to be empathetic towards Trump while still being able to hold him accountable. And yeah. you're right. Also empathetic towards people who claim the name of Jesus, but seem to be perverting uh, what 
Jesus taught about in the name of Christian nationalism or um, capitalism or, I mean, gosh, anything. And but the the Germany thing is uh, Christians in Germany. I think is a useful um, counterpoint, not counterpoint, but a use a useful flashpoint here because it is it gets at something that I think about all the time, and <laughs> I've and listeners have probably heard me say this three or four different times on different episodes. But like whatever it is that makes you a Christian in Germany in nineteen thirty eight or whatever. I don't, I think I'm not interested in that. Like if, you know, to one, so to some extent, like we're saying, like Pence and, and us are both Christians in some sense, assuming that Pence is genuine and, you know, cause he could of course be a charlatan and I have no idea. I don't have a, I don't have a look into his soul, into his mm-hmm. intentions, but whatever is true of those Christians in Germany who elected Hitler and, you know, didn't then actively resist the concentration camps, which was something like 0.2%, you know, some very small percentage did actual sedition work Mm -hmm. against Hitler. So, okay. So they're Christians Mm -hmm. in a way that I think is completely meaningless. I mean, that's, that's a great, right. That's a great point. And I think it's, it's hard to try to put yourself in those shoes. Sure. Like, you're a 34 year old German father of three yeah. and Hitler rises to power and suddenly world war two is happening. And you know, your Jewish neighbor is getting shipped off to a death camp. Like it's hard to know. And, and here's the, the, the thing that's scary about it is that they, there was this, it must've seemed somewhat sen- like sensible to them. Like the, like, yeah, you, that you can never you you never can explain a population of people by saying, well, they all went crazy at the same time. That's right. bad history. Exactly. Bad psychology, right? Yeah. Absolutely. They're, something they're, ma- something motivated and there were causes and you can they are theoretically discoverable. Yeah. Exactly. And I think we live in a different world, but there is there are similarities right now when you look at um you know, QAnon is the one that's most um kind of top of mind right now in the news. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I, you know, I've posted about QAnon before on my own private Facebook page and had not positively, but, you know, like posted, I think it was an article in the Atlantic, but like had people I knew very sincerely respond saying, you know, I actually believe QAnon is um, legit. And I, how did, how do you arrive at that place? And I'm, you know, I'm just flabbergasted. Sorry, I feel like I'm going in circles well, here. No, it's so fine. The, I'm gonna the, kind of throw the, the guy, ball back to you. The guy is in the in the animal hat from yesterday. Is a guy I believe known as QAnon Shaman. Yep. And, yeah, and he's like a I guess an actor who's a QAnon guy who does some sort of content there. So it's re- it's obviously related to what went on. Um, let's yeah. Let me let me um, let me pull this slightly different direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that came up for me when I was talking with my therapist uh, just earlier today was that I think I found a little bit of language for – if we want to use the word of, of trauma, like when each of these events happens, um, the maybe what is the wound that they are sort of reopening? And I think I, I, think I found some language for it. So give me a minute here to explain it. 
Mm -hmm. These two primary worldviews, ways of understanding sort of the moral and religious decisions that people make, these two taken together represent the bedrock of probably at least the first 25 years of my life. And there are two of them. They kind of overlap and they're kind of different. You'll recognize them both immediately. The first one, and this started when I was younger, is is the idea that people are bad uh, and maybe even irrational. They wouldn't have used that word, but that would have been a fine. They would have been okay with it. Sinful, um, you know, some sort of real original sin sense. But when you accept Christ, that solves, you know, it doesn't make you perfect. Of course, no one would have said you're perfect, but it solves most things. Uh, People who have Christ inevitably are better and, Hmm. and love better. And, you know, the Holy Spirit will change you. That was the primary view of that was basically my my primary anthropology that I had. Of course, I wouldn't have that language for it. And then late high school into college and early 20s, a second view came in that is somewhat compatible and somewhat incompatible. And this is that Christianity makes sense. We follow the evidence and that's why we're Christians. And this is more apologetics type stuff. Mm -hmm. And if people had the evidence, they would also be Christians, which means if people have evidence, they will act more or less accordingly unless, you know, the devil is – there's various offshoot versions of that, right, that account for why people don't. One thing that the Trump evangelical thing has done is it has proven that both of those are wrong for sort of different reasons. The people who clearly have accepted Christ, the people for whom accepting Christ is the main thing that Mm -hmm. they're the thing, the people for whom their grandson, you know, thinking about like, will Soren accept Jesus, like being a main concern for them. These are the kind of people who are all in on Trump. Not always, of course. And I'm, I'm speaking in percentages here, but I just mean, a big chunk of them, majority of them, maybe Jesus did not figure that thing out for them. And then the second one that people will follow evidence. Well, there's plenty of evidence that these people could have looked at mm-hmm. uh, and they don't. And, and there are of course many other reasons to believe that we are not purely rational or even primarily rational. And, you know, social psychology has taken a big chunk out of that for me, whatever, but the Trump thing too, like, <laughs> so every time one of these things happens, Every, you know, the grabber by the pussy tape or the Charlottesville, you know, both sidesing or the whatever, right? Every one of these events and now finally the Capitol being stormed uh, and broken into these, each of these not being the final straw re reopens that wound of both of these foundational views of what it is to be human have been proven to be wrong, fresh. And what I came up with maybe in therapy today is like, that is going to take a long time to heal because that's the first 25-ish years of my life. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I wanted to kick that out and see what you think. Oh, wow. Just trying to keep it light over here, John. Yep. No, totally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're, this could be my ADD brain. And I might not even answer your question. Great. And I don't even know if there was a question. It was more. No, it's just a prompt. Yeah, yeah. open. <laughs> I think 
a lot about why I am a Christian. Hmm. I'm not one of those people that became a believer and it was just smooth sailing. My faith is strong. I don't, you know, I don't have this unwavering faith. And there are two main (laughs) bedrocks to my faith, my foundation of belief. And I'm slowly building upon these. And they actually run parallel or are um, related to what you just said. I have seen myself change. Hmm. Sincerely. Now, that's my experience. I can't, you know, show you a film of how I've changed. You, you could ask people around me and they would say, yeah, I mean, I would hope they would say, yeah, I think John really has changed. But in my own life, my own testimony to myself <laughs> is that God has changed me. Yeah, this is great. I'm st- I'm still (laughs) a terrible person sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. I still get swept up in wrong thinking and um, I've got so much to learn, but I do feel like I have changed. I don't think I'm more ethical than even a non-believer, but I've seen Uh, the change. But you're more ethical than you were before you got saved. I think so. You have to be. I think so. I mean, the way you describe, and you described this in the previous episode, um, you know, you you had a kind of a sex, drugs, and rock and roll conversion experience, and <laughs> you were yeah. and you were headed down a path that you didn't want to be headed down towards Absolutely. looking looking down the barrel of the end of your marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so th- I'm really glad you brought that up because I I do want to be clear, and I don't think I was that I very much believe in conversion stories that that mm-hmm. conver- uh, conversions happen they are super real um when you I've say said it, i have friends who have actually they have really substantially changed mm-hmm. as a result of becoming a christian their mm-hmm. lives changed in ways that that are immediately identifiable and there's even we don't have to get into it but there there are there's neurophysiological explanations there are models that can explain how this happens we can have events that that basically take advantage of our neuroplasticity, our brain's ability to rewire itself, hmm. which is, I think, what happens in a normal in normal times. That's what habits do, right? Habits rewire your brain in a slow way. But we also know that events can do it quickly, and I think that's a good that's a perfectly good explanation for what's going on at a, at the brain level when someone has a a, a conversion experience hmm. that it We're rewired. Kicks, it it rewires a bunch at once, and then you still have to, of course, build new habits and stuff for that to be ongoing and whatever. But it does happen. I totally believe it. So when when I say that Jesus solves things, I guess what I mean is that like G- being a Christian, accepting Christ at a statistical level, really does something for like anybody who claims the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- this is so interesting because. I think it also relates to this conversation of if these if these evangelicals are lost, which I think is a good way of putting it, theologically, they have exchanged Christ for something else. What when will it take? Even, when you Go say ahead. evangelicals, I think it's important for me. Are, are we right now? Are we discussing the people who stormed the Capitol? Are we discussing evangelicals at large? Like, I guess I just mean let's say the the twenty million or so white evangelicals who are just loyal to Trump. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, that okay. might be the wrong number, but it's something like that. Um, it might be more than that. I don't know. There's and, an idolatry there. Yes. And, and they, they have a golden calf, literally a man with a golden toilet and <laughs> gold plated everything. <laughs> they literally have their golden calf. And uh, so if we're thinking about them as lost, I, I think it's, I'm trying to think of them as the prodigal son for my own sanity. And if, if that's true, and I think it is, and if what they need is a conversion experience or a rededication, or they need to come back to Christ and forsake Christian nationalism and Trump, which who have replaced Christ. Then what's interesting about that is that a lot of these people never had a conversion experience to begin with myself included. If I had been one of them, I was mm. raised Christian. Mm -hmm. I have no dramatic conversion story. It, I have had ups and downs. I've had moments of clarity. I've had habits that have been worse or better, you know, whatever. And I've had many spiritual experiences as we've talked about some both on and off mic. Um, but I've never had a conversion narrative. So if I were one of those people, this would to, to admit that I was wrong on this and come to repentance would actually be a bigger barrier, a harder thing to do than coming to Christ was. Mm -hmm. That's fucking interesting to think about. And gives me a little bit of perspective of like, it's actually kind of a big ask. And well, you know what I mean? It should see. So this is where I'm gonna start talking about things I don't understand. Good. But what I've, <laughs> what I've found Let's is that it. when God's spirit is working in my life, there's a, my, I do kind of, I become more teachable. Right. And I don't understand that, but God, I feel like God humbles me and I, see, I don't have words for this. Um, I just think wisdom is a teachable heart. And we all, if we're going to be wise, have to admit that we don't truly understand everything that's happening. And we, that there are very complex reasons for our worldviews. And, and so I want to believe that unless we're wrong, unless you and I are wrong, mm -hmm in this um, that those who have placed Donald Trump and his ideas and his just force of nature energy on the throne of their hearts above Christ. I just, I want to believe that if they're also, if they are believers and this is where we can get into the, like <laughs> whether you can lose your faith or not, I don't know, but, um, I want to believe well, that they certainly will come. people, people can certainly lose their faith in as measured by, I identify as a Christian or not. I mean, surveys yeah. bear that out. Of course you can at least but, lose it in your own mind. Sure. Whether like, you lose you, salvation, that's sort of a different theological question, right? Yes. But the, also this idea that like, you can think you're a Christian and not be a Christian. Oh, right. Yeah. And so, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I, well, no, I, I, I've got something, I've got somewhere to go with it. So this is another thing that came out in therapy, uh, man, getting my money's worth today, um, <laughs> getting some content for the show. Uh, there is like, there's something different about Trump and I think you've actually given me some language for it. So, but here, let me, let me, um, let me back up a little bit. The culture war that I now find myself in 
on the liberal side for on most of these culture war issues. Mm -hmm. That culture war has been around since like 1980, before I was born. It's pretty much been about, you know, conservative governmental policies, abortion, gay rights, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, secular education, evolution mm -hmm. and science, whatever you want to, all these things, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Hollywood, you know, so I find myself as other than being largely pro-life, I'm basically on the left side of most of those culture war issues. That's all been roughly even uh, for 20, 35 years. But then once Trump gets into the mix, I think that he is a has a kind of a multiplier effect mm -hmm. and he requires you to double and triple down on him in a way you don't have to double and triple down on gay rights. For instance, you could change your mind on that and still be pro-life and still be, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, maybe you would not be so worried about the Hollywood agenda or something after that. But, you know, there was more flexibility to send a volley across the lines, if you will, of the culture war. Mm -hmm. But the, and maybe this is why Trump is the literal embodied opposite of a teachable heart. It's true. There is nothing. He prides himself on not being teachable. He mm -hmm. answered that early question about forgiveness saying, I don't really ask for forgiveness. I just try and do things right. And I think God and I have an understanding basically like he is, he is the absolute undisputed worldwide champion of doubling, tripling, and quadrupling down and never admitting he's wrong and never learning a damn thing. Mm -hmm. And so if you hitch your horse to him, how can you have a teachable heart? The well, only way to do it is to forsake him and be to willing fall off to be the horse. You have to fall off the horse. That's the only, that's what I'm saying. It's a big hurt. It's a bigger hurdle right. than in 2014, you come home from college and you're gay and you're trying to get your parents to accept you. Two years later, 2016, they're Trumpists. It's already harder for that to happen, that other thing to happen, which is a part mm. of the culture war, because of his character. Right. That's my little theory. Well, no, that's really interesting. He, it almost feels like he has magical powers. <laughs> I think part of it is just he requires, his very nature requires so much commitment because he's so obviously unfit, so obviously the thing you told your kids to watch out for that you're either going all the fuck in or you're mm -hmm. not that you right. can't really go medium with him. And probably there were a lot more medium in people during the primaries, the first year of office, you know, whatever. But like now you get to, they're storming the Capitol and he told them mm -hmm. to go. It's like, you just gotta be all in or you have to go off. So this is where I think there's a difference between a Trump voter and a Trump supporter. hundred percent. I love this and, distinction. And I think that the silence that I'm hearing or not hearing yeah. <laughs> coming from the Christian world is coming from a lot of people who were Trump voters and not Trump supporters. Okay. And maybe yeah. you're beginning to realize like, it's almost like when you're hanging out with some kids and you want to look cool and you're like going along. And then like one of the kids like, pulls out the cocaine. You're like, okay, I don't know if I can. <laughs> like, I, I yeah. wanted to be a part of the group, but now I'm kind of feeling like, yeah. Oh, this, this is gone too far. This took a turn. Right. Yes, exactly. And, but so, okay. <laughs> I hope you're right. And it, and I do think that people storming the, the Capitol building and breaking in is probably the most sort of newsworthy event of Trump's entire political career. 
But they didn't really like before the 2020 election, they had grab her by the pussy. They had that before the 2016 election. They mm-hmm. had the what unite the right rally. You know, they so had a lot of they have. opportunities. Absolutely. But then this is where the theology of God uses the Nebuchadnezzar to obtain God's goals. And so like, there's this idea that like, you're saying this is a claim that is made. Exactly. Like yeah, God that, uses that, bad actors to accomplish what God wants. Yeah. Precisely. And he does in scripture. Right. And so why wouldn't he be doing it now? And then you've got these, these evangelical public figures who are prophesying and saying like, God told yeah. me that Trump's going to win. Trump has to win or the United States is going to crumble, et cetera. And I think, yeah, I would say those are though the people who buy the prophecy stuff. I'm not. I think I put them in the supporters category. Yeah, not perhaps. voters. But you know, the voters are the people who go. You know what? This guy is so bad. But like, I just think I want more judges. You know, something like that. <laughs> or I really like conservative fiscal policy. I'm a small business owner. Something yeah. like that, which I still think is the wrong call, but is different than. Oh yeah, I believe this prophet. Yes, that there's Trump a difference. God's between- man, you know. There's a difference between supporting John McCain. Um, there's a difference between supporting, yeah. I mean, honestly, many, many other Republican figures prior to Trump. Yeah. Like even Lindsey Graham or whoever, like Trump, this is where I, I feel like Trump's magic power came into play. And I feel like we've reached a weird place in history when George W. Bush's like public denunciation of Trump seems to have no power. Right. What has happened? And to take it a few steps back, actually, to that this idea that God uses, uh, you know, the bad actors, as you say, as you said, um, I do think God has His hand in the world. As a Christian, I believe God uses broken people. I don't quite understand God's will for our world, but I do regularly pray that God's will would be done. And we've talked about this before. We talked about it on the last episode that I was on, but I've begun to allow myself to to grieve. And to accept that the United States of America is in decline and that I don't, I would never be so presumptuous to say that I believe it's God's will that our country maintain its ability to govern, maintain its ability to function, uh, uh, maintains its status as the world power. And, and in fact, this, this, um, the same thinking that would say, well, God wants Trump to win because you know, Trump's is the defender of democracy and he's the only thing standing between us and the, the, the slippery slope into communism. And that same logic, you can use it in the negative and say, well, what if, (laughs) what if God wanted Trump to win because God wanted to kind of show us how broken we are and actually how awful our system is and how it's not working and how he wanted to reveal the, the golden calf, like, yeah, you know what, church, <laughs> he's sitting on the throne in your heart and I'm a jealous God and that's not okay. And hmm. wow. I feel like I could say this to some of my, even my friends who are evangelical, cons- conservative evangelical Christians who voted for Trump. And it's like, we're still somehow speaking a different language. And it's so funny. I keep finding myself and maybe the, li- maybe the listeners will agree. I'm right back at the, the the cliff and now there's a chasm before me. It's like, yeah, right. There's a helplessness because I don't have the, <laughs> the mental prowess and tenacity to problem solve this back together. Well, I don't t- know what to do. <laughs> well, let me tell you this, John, 
you know, I have a healthy ego. I think if anyone's got it, I do have the mental prowess and I can't do it. And I wonder <laughs> if that's part of the issue is that I have been thinking that I could. Mm. And I've been trying to solve this using my, let's just call it ample intellect. I'm mm-hmm. not a genius, but you know, you're I got, a smart man. I got. A, I'm working with a full full deck of cards here, okay. and I'm interested <laughs> in this issue, and I have been, and mm-hmm. I've been reading, interviewing people, thinking about it for five years now, mm-hmm. uh, five and a half years now, and I can't solve it either. And I wonder, and I have been feeling, uh, and again, this is another thing my therapist confirmed an hour and a half ago that I. Maybe for me, it's time to switch to grief primarily and to stop Mm. trying to figure it out, stop trying to game it out and to recognize that there really is a chasm. There really is a chasm in term and and the dark, the deepest chasm, the biggest break is in our theological imagination. Probably Mm. there's a a much shorter chasm in like our actual emotions and how rational we're being and uh, what we do when someone we love tells us they're having a problem. Like those areas actually probably there aren't that many differences, but in our theological imagination, what we are pointed at, I think that's as I'm processing in real time, that seems to be where the chasm actually is. And I need to be okay with grieving that. And, and there may, I also should probably be okay not knowing exactly how to name what all the other things they want are. Maybe for some of them, it's fear. For some of them, it's power. For some of them, it's they really love being a victim. For, you know, I don't know what it all is. But like to, to address that, they have embraced a theological vision that is anti-Jesus. And on, on almost any good faith interpretation of Jesus. And so, okay, I need to mourn that. Now the question for me is, how do you mourn something like that? I mean, how do you mourn something in general? I don't really know. But how do you mourn something like this? Um, do you have to do it individual relationship by relationship? Can you do it as a whole? You know, like the, can you mourn the chasm itself or only the instances of the chasm? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> uh, wow. Um, well, we all mourn differently and most of us don't know how to mourn properly. Yeah, I don't. We have to talk about it. That's a big, think- that was a big one for me was when I had to, uh, we had some very difficult family stuff in my family of origin at the same time as a bunch of miscarriages. Mm-hmm. And I had a really rough patch there for a couple of years, two, three years. And I, for me, the the biggest thing I remember doing was, opening up to friends about it, I had been kind of closed off about both of those things. And uh, COVID is not great timing for that. Uh, mm-hmm. But of course, conversations can still happen. So I, I I like that. That's a good, I like that as number one. You got anything else? Well, it, I don't know if I have many answers as to like the practical ways in which we can mourn other than, you know, talking about it. Um, and And what I'm learning is that a lot of the a lot of the people I know who are older than me didn't were never taught how to mourn and yeah. then then teach their children how to mourn. And it's this vicious cycle. Um, and be, then kind of turn to this almost like delusional lifestyle of just not being able to accept the fact that things have been hard or difficult or this sad thing happened that I can't explain. Um, I will say 
you know, my faith is very, it's important to me. It's very real. I feel like my faith has kind of been through the obstacle course and it's not, I'm not out of the obstacle course, right? Like, so kind of in the thick of it, but um, my relationship with my creator is how I mourn. I come to my God honestly and I say, Lord, I'm mad about this. Um, I've had enough spiritual experience to know that God is with me and God isn't afraid of my, my anger and my frustration. You know, I come to God and I say, you know, I don't know how I feel about this or I don't know how I feel about you. That transparency in our relationship, that honesty to something so big and abstract as a creator, you know, an infinite being, um, it's essential to me in my morning. If I couldn't do that, this, you know, acceptance within my brain that the Amer- that the country I live in is is in actual decline. All all signs point to real, true decline. It would be too much for me, and that's when I think I would begin to go to other places to try to explain away what's happening, like. QAnon, not to bring it back, but I go to these places that's, or I start to demonize bigger ideas or other places or other types of people. And in order to keep myself from mourning, because mourning, if is anything, if it's anything, it's just coming to terms with reality. Truly, if, you know, if I go home, sorry, this is a really dark example. I'm trying to think of how, let me think of a new one. Hold on. It's okay. I was going to ask you about uh, mourning a miscarriage. That's pretty dark too. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's a great example. Because you and I have both gone through that, our, our wives as well. Um, it's in your song, Absentee Heartbeat, to bring it back to mm-hmm. your music. Also, I can't help thinking about your music as you talk about, and I can't help thinking about our previous conversation as you're talking about just coming to God with all this uncertainty. It's it. It reminds me very much of the way you appear to write songs and certainly the way you want to, to juxtapose songs with each other and sounds with each other, you know, to, to, to show that tension. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, it's interesting and kind of cool to hear you uh, express that in a sort of a slightly different situation. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I, I actually, I really believe it's essential that we are honest in our relationship with God. And I don't know why it seems like the church has, has been so afraid of honesty. Well, but so how did you how did you mourn the miscarriage? I wrote Absentee Heartbeat. Yeah, so that's a good a practical example. I wrote this song, the first verse, the night after Anna wow. miscarried the first time. Oh my gosh. Um and the second verse, uh, you know, not much not not that long after when we, you know, buried the little little thing you know under the holly tree and that's exactly what the the verse says so there is a practical power in you know therapeutic art and journaling and talking podcasting whatever it it almost feels like if i may say so myself your podcast of five years has been a therapeutic tool for you i think it i think (laughs) it can be and -hmm. like moments like today and um just yesterday put out a, a patron exclusive episode with my buddy Chris Hoke that started out cerebral and ended up very pastoral and very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. It happens, but I think that it's not my it's not my default that I well, like to organize ideas. And that is less therapeutic. I mean, sometimes it helps. Like to today we're in therapy and, and in this episode we're talking about how 
those two views of Jesus solving things and people following evidence, like those were, I, that was idea work, but that actually connected and is helping me with some of my feelings. So it's not always one or the other. Um, mm. So yeah, your point is yeah. it definitely can be, and it feels like it right now. Well, for me, one of the most difficult aspects of, of our first miscarriage was that I had been praying in faith for my child. Hmm. So, you know, that's a whole nother can of worms, praying in faith. What is God's I don't even will? know what that means. It means that in, you know, in John, I don't remember which verse it is, where God talks about, if you ask anything aligned with my will, you have the, there's this confidence, like knowing, hmm. like if you're praying in faith aligned with God's will, you can be sure that, that God will will kind of come through for you. And that was a terrible uh, <laughs> paraphrase, by the way. But <laughs> give you the desires you know, of your heart? Is it that uh, verse? It's it's not that verse, but it more okay. or less, that's what it's saying. And I prayed for this unborn baby and was so hopeful. When it didn't happen, I was forced to reckon with some bad theology. Right. This exactly. idea that like God definitely wanted my baby to live. And I was in... Yeah. Or I was praying in faith, God's will be done for my baby. Well, when the baby doesn't live, do I, is it God's will that the baby not yeah. live? Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. That was the, it's like somebody took a crowbar to my faith and was just like, yeah. yeah. And in the end, it's been very good for me, you know, and the other miscarriages, I had already tackled those questions and, and new ones began. Um, and I'm that's still- actually not to interrupt you, but that's so interesting because for me, the fourth and final miscarriage was when all the previous three really hit me. Hmm. I didn't do as much work in the first three. Uh, the first one was a, a real wham, bam, like whiz bang all in one day, finding out it was ectopic, staying there at the hospital, being admitted to the emergency room. Jeffrey got surgery that day. You know, the whole thing was super fast. Hmm. And I was doing a lot of like, just kind of man of the house, like, how are we getting through this day detail work, you know? And, Mm. and then the other two were quieter. They were more, uh, they were chemical pregnancies. Um, the, the next three, all, all three of the rest were, uh, but that fourth one, they all hit me. And it's like, I had this well built up that I hadn't processed through kind of a thing, which is interesting how that is a little different than it sounds for you. And, but you know, honestly, Dan, that makes sense to me because, our culture doesn't have a, a vocabulary to talk about miscarriage. We That's just true. don't know how to talk about it. And what I found since actually publishing absentee heartbeat is, you know, it's one of the songs I get the most um, messages about and feedback about. And it's because people, you know, I'm not even really saying anything profound in the song. I'm just singing up the, oh, it it's happened. It's just kind of a grief song. Yeah. It's just, there go all the plans we had for you. I mean, it's just yeah. very straightforward and right. I think very affecting for that reason. Well, thank you. And I, <laughs> it's amazing how in our grief, sometimes we can't find words so simple hmm. because I, most people I would, I would guess you've had miscarriages have feeling that very thing because you've oh, spent yeah. 10 to 20 or whatever weeks, like dreaming about what this little human is going to become and what they're going to do and what are we going to do together and what kind of music am I going to get them into? And you know, yeah. the list goes on. Well, um, so I'm wondering how we can tie this back into the grief of 
Well, exactly. Especially yeah. within the Christian world, because it's important to me. It's so it's where I belong personally. Um, so I'm drawn to this idea of grieving the the decline of America. Um, I think that it's not something I've thought about a lot. So this is off the cuff, but in at least some very significant moral senses, we are in decline as a nation, and and certainly. Um, the efficacy of Congress, the sort of breakdown of our institutions, like that's mm-hmm. all pretty much undeniable. Mm-hmm. Um, now we, we could come back up. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that there's only like, in fact, I was taught as a, you know, dispensationalist evangelical to think like when we fall, that's the end of the world. And, you know, like, I don't, mm-hmm. that's not true. So we could decline and incline and, you know, whatever, like, we could be like France or Spain or the UK, like have our day in the sun. Mm-hmm. And now we're just like a pretty great country, <laughs> you know, like uh, history, history yeah, would fine. show us that that's what happens. That's what happens. So we maybe we, someone eclipses us. I, I really, I'm worried about it being China just because they are currently committing what appears to be genocide mm-hmm. uh, on a group of Chinese Muslims. Um, but you know, that's we'll leave. We'll leave that. Are you sure you don't want to talk about that? Because I wanted to talk about that. <laughs> I do I, not want to. I don't want to talk about China right now. I don't think I can handle it. Well, no. the the soundbite is the soundbite okay. is. I I think China has so much potential to be such. Oh, like totally. it is a it's a beautiful nation. I just have you spent I, time there? A little bit. Very. Yeah, uh, I've been three times, and I fucking love it. I love the people and the culture and the food and like, oh, totally. I mean, China, maybe China needs it. You know, they'll have their own kind of re- minor revolution of, mm-hmm. of values. I mean, hope so. I, yeah, I, I don't think uh, I don't think that China is like uh, <laughs> demonic by nature or anything like that. No, no. Either. I just but yeah, it, it is. It's um, it's hard. It's so hard to get out of American exceptionalism if you're raised here and mm-hmm. educated in the public schools. It's just oh, man. very, very, or actually maybe even harder if you're educated in Christian schools. Uh, but both in all that education, there's a lot of the American exceptionalism. Yeah. And, and um, uh, Christian nationalism. And I mm-hmm. think actually in me, my personally, when I, I got the privilege of worshiping in an illegal house church in Beijing, wow. that was like one of a hundred things that just slowly Dis- dismantled any yeah. idea of yeah. Christian nationalism that I had. It was just like, oh my God. And right back to the uh, John Hersey's Hiroshima, realizing that there were believers in Christ who died in the bombing of Hiroshima, right? Yeah. Not to mention all the others. Right, of course. But it's just, sorry, we're, man, this no, is quite the conversation. We're- I know. And we got into, so let, but let's, let me, I want to aim this back because I, I think you were right to aim this back at grieving. Like, what are we grieving? Like, it's, it's, I'm, I'm drawn to the idea of grieving that there has been some downfall in America that is ongoing and and the future is indeterminate. It does seem like that's a little harder for me to get my grief around. You know, I don't know. It's maybe it's pretty abstract. It's very abstract. And I think it might not be a grieving as much as, as it is a returning to what is true about God. So like hmm. I am a citizen, like <laughs> I'm use a bunch of Christian terms here, but this idea of being a citizen of heaven or part of God's family, that, that the believer in, in Christ in, you know, Thailand is my 
my brother or my sister. It's this idea that like, yes, of course, I want the United States of America to thrive and flourish. I want it to, I want our political system to, you know, be healed. (laughs) Um, I want good things for my country, but I, I'm not going to hold on to its, its potency, its power on the global stage or even its functionality as my hope. Like it's not the source of my hope. And when I, yes, when I'm then reorient, when I, when I reorientate myself back to what I personally believe to be true of this world, this universe, um, I realize that most Christians for a long time for the history of the church have lived in underneath terrible governments and in, you know, well, yeah, in, even in, if in, you, even if you don't consider persecution, just imagine living in the middle ages. Yeah, sure. <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, we have it so, so, so good. Yeah. And I think, but it's, also that, that freedom, you know, that's one of the reasons I, I am so proud to be American though. It's like, that mm-hmm. is also like kind of a historical anomaly and something. So there, there is a part of me that like, you know, I, I'm sitting here thinking that it's the attack on my faith that is hurting the most. But I wonder if there is also a kind of like love of country sure. and the feeling that the, this contingent of people um, are so like they're so dedicated to an obviously awful person that they don't even care about the country like i mean they care about they think they care about the country but they they won't respect the laws like they're all their law and order talk will go out the window once it's a thing they don't like and i don't know it's um it's like the ideals of america do actually still have a fair amount of power mm-hmm. in my mind and so they're also they also feel like they're being trampled on in the name of my religion yeah it's a double whammy it's a double whammy. It's, and actually, I, I know what you're saying because I don't want I don't want to give off the wrong impression that I'm like this anarchist who's ready for you know right. the United States to crumble and to dissolve into fifty different countries. I just, you know, what really gets me is knowing what my friends in other places are feeling. Yeah, because like there's everywhere I've traveled, there's always been there's that joke of, you know, the U S kind of being this awful place, but when push comes to shove, never fail. And I'm not kidding my friends in Europe or Canada or whoever, like they, people do look to the United States as this pillar of hope. And they're just as freaking discouraged as we are. They're just, they're like pulling their hair out. They're astounded. They don't understand how the the American church could could, uh, support Trump. I hear that from so many of my friends and that also really hurts. And I guess that's me trying to relate to what you're saying. It's like, not only are you, it's the double whammy. It's this abuse of what makes America actually great. And then what makes Jesus uh, like astoundingly good. And it's, mm. it makes me want to, I, I think it just makes me want to cry. I was going to say it makes me want to like throw eggs at the Stop the Steal protesters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you could, you could have both. <laughs> yeah. I'm not actually crying yet, but I, I, I might later. Hmm. Um, I, I should probably go home soon. <laughs> oh, I was going to say we're, I'm, I'm moving us towards wrapping it up. I just... 
I had right. a thought of one other thing, but yeah, go ahead. Well, I just, the word of the day for me is empathy and I'm just desperate for leaders with empathy. Like I, I, and I, I really want to believe that some of those whom have kind of gone along with the Trump train, even in, in the GOP, even in the Republican world, um, are going to kind of come to their senses. And I do want to be hopeful about it. And, um, yeah, well, let me, I really want to believe Trump might go to, to, to prison. And I don't mean that yeah, because it's I very unlikely, say- but it's possible. Yeah. Um, and if he, if he doesn't, it's because Biden thinks it's better for the country and I'll have to defer to him. Uh, but it is frustrating to not see consequences. Um, I, I thought of what I was going to say, and this will be my last point that I'm going to ask you to talk about the Vesper service to, to end us. I think that there's something um, that you're bringing up in me uh, when you talk about so plainly about American decline. And that is that I think that I have been tempted to having been raised to believe that the Republican party was God's party. I have been tempted to find a similar kind of salvation on the left. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some stubborn facts that keep that from really being viable. Like mm-hmm. for instance, uh, cosmopolitan secular elites, liberal elites around the country, around the world, uh, don't have time for down syndrome babies and down syndrome. People are, disappearing from many of these countries that you know leftists like myself aspire to be like mm-hmm. and that is like a deeply problematic fact uh there it is not it is not as if i can just switch it over to oh it must be the democrats and of course i would never say that it is or anything but you want it to be true you want it to be true and you <laughs> want like the tribal magnetism is so strong and so it's it's ultimately going to be insufficient and unsatisfying to then just be opposite of the GOP, and that's where we'll find all our moral guidance and our meaning. And so I think I really do need to hear this from you of like letting my political affiliation and, and even my political imagination, much of which, if not most, is based in my faith – holding that lightly as like always still subject to compromise. And so needing the, the only place that's not where, where is not subject to compromise. And that's basically my God. And of course I, I never completely grasp God. I don't always know what God wants. Um, and I might not even experience God when I want to. And when I come to God, but at least like it's one way of thinking about how God is, is our refuge in that God does not have those vicissitudes, even though we don't know necessarily exactly how to describe that place where there is no compromise. We have faith that it does exist in the mind of God and in the will of God. And so there's something, there's something there that I needed to hear today. And so I appreciate that. And that's the connection it made for me of like, yeah, I'm not going to find it in my liberal community either. I'm, I'll find more of it there because at least we want to let fucking refugees into the country. I mean, you know, we don't want to separate, we don't want to intentionally separate children from their parents to dissuade more immigrants. Like, you know, there are, and we believe in climate change, whatever. I could go down the list of things that make it obviously preferable to me, all things considered. 
mm-hmm. but it's not going to have the answer there either. No. <laughs> and you, I no. feel like you're just more aware of that than me because of some different experiences and personality stuff that we have. I think you're more willing to like be a kind of thorn in the side of the political system than I tend to be. And that makes it that an easier thing for you to see, for instance. Maybe I, I just think this sounds so sometimes I feel like when I talk about my faith, I I just feel like I'm regurgitating some memorized testimony, but I'm not, but I mean this, honestly, I just feel like I've, I've been, I've been so disappointed by everything I've turned to. Hmm. Um, and there's been so many failures, you know, as I've looked to other places and the hope I have in God is still pretty murky for me. You know, I don't see it clearly all the time, but um, when I do get those moments of clarity, it's better than anything I've ever experienced. And yeah, back to the reasons I believe I believe because I've been changed. I also believe because of, you know, for logical reasons that I've adopted. And, um, but I want to, I just want to really quick mention, there is something maybe different. You having had a a conversion experience, but I, I don't think I did. Well, I mean, you did in the, in like the, in the basic literature sense of a conversion, like you, you had a, you had a real turning, Um, that was, yes, there was background, but it wasn't like a gradual process. It was a decision you made in a pretty discreet moment in time. God met you and your life changed in, in a beautiful way, in a great way. I don't mean like one moment. I just mean like you really (laughs) did turn. You said, I can't go this way anymore. I'm going this way. Your life changed, not instantly, but it changed pretty quickly as far as lifespans go Mm-hmm. And you can see the fruit of it. What I'm all I'm saying is maybe in this moment where so many of us, myself anyway, feel like what we need to do is mourn the loss of a a good chunk of a generation, mm-hmm. that we need to accept that they're gone and that we would pray that we would be able to welcome them back if they so choose. That what we need who we need to hear from, people like me without a conversion experience is we need testimonies of people who have done that both to like elucidate the gap that is real and also to encourage us of how, what we might hope for, for these people. And as, as I said before, I feel so weird talking as if I know who's lost and found, but it's just become pretty fucking clear to the extent that I'll just say it that way to the extent that any individual has chosen Trump and Christian nationalism over Christ. Like maybe I need to hear stories from more people who have had a more drastic conversion. That's, that's all I'm saying. Well, the people I know who, whose faith seems very, very genuine. Um, they're on this steady trail of um, losing their loyalty to other things. Mm-hmm. And it really does make you a weirdo. Hmm. You just become a weirdo. <laughs> that seems like a funny word, but it's just weird. And, you know, there is something kind of punk about being a true Christian. Really. And like, I feel like my punk atheist friends would really hate me for saying that. (laughs) 
No, I mean, I mean it's it, certainly yeah. In so far sever, as it's, yeah, you sever these these ties, and it doesn't make a lot of sense to most people from the outside looking in. And yeah, right. can we? Can I just slightly modify that? I do want to. You know, are you familiar with the no true Scotsman fallacy? That's like Mm-mm. anytime something happens, someone would go, "Well, that guy's not a real Scotsman." Well, this right. Scottish person, like that's they're not real Christians, like. It's not, I don't want to locate it in, well, we've got, like, I, I've got an understanding of what a real Christian is. I think that that should almost always be avoided, but I think we can say that, like, Trumpism is just antithetical to the Sermon on the Mount. It is just, like, just sure, any yeah. dispassionate observer would find it to be 80% entirely opposite the things mm-hmm. that that man values that he specifically preaches um, that he stands for. Like, and so it's not so much like for me anyway, it's not who's the true Christian and who's not. It's just like, what is something that is commonsensically Christ-like or commonsensically an antithesis to Christ? Mm-hmm. That's, that's how I'm thinking of it. And I, I imagine you probably are too, but it's, it's cause it's something that's come up in some of the dialogue around, yesterday of like well those aren't real conservatives the people who broke in like there's no real true scotsman you you it can be used as like a you can always get out of anything with that you just say well my team is the one that really supports trump because we would have known not to go in there you know or whatever like you can always work on it anyway that's kind of a pedantic point but i think it's kind of important no it is important and it's frustrating <laughs> yeah it's it's funny. One of the the videos I watched earlier was a uh, it was like a woman holding up her her phone in the crowd as people were beginning to break windows and scale the walls, and she's yelling, "No, no, stop Antifa! No Antifa!" Oh my gosh. And it was just so interesting to me because she's a great example. She doesn't want the violence, right? Right. We can give her that much. She great. thinks it's a bad idea. It's not going to be a good thing for our cause. Um. But she immediately thinks that these people that she's there with who are going to go that far are Antifa. And man, I'm speechless. Yeah. And I, I um, gosh, sorry. That's I, this, whole con- <laughs> this whole conversation. Okay, that, we're going to, we're going to wrap it up here. I'm going to ask you again about the Vespers. Like this is a good place. We're going to end on sure. this. I want you to describe the Vespers prayer service that you guys took part in last night. And you said that it was helpful. But can, before explaining how it was helpful and your personal experience of it, can you describe what it was for people who don't, who've never done a Vesper service? And then like, just talk a little bit about your experience with that last night. This maybe will give us some ideas of where we might take our own grief and anger and, and frustration. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, it was epiphany yesterday, um, ironically. Will you explain that uh, on the in the church calendar for people? It's when we celebrate the rising of the star. Um, the, you know, the calling to these <laughs> i want to call them uh astrologers <laughs> yeah they basically they were back when astrologers. astrologers were the best thing that we had yeah they were um, they were like honestly they were like our science directors today mm-hmm. at the time who were <laughs> astrologers that's what they had yeah yeah so it's just celebrating this this the star rising and, and, and to drawing. find jesus in the manger yeah. right and you know our services here, the, you know, Vespers, evening prayer, whatever we want to call it, it's really just, it's fairly quiet. There's a little bit of liturgy. There's always a long pastoral prayer, which includes 
Stephanie covers a lot of different topics, but it's it's always from the heart and it's always very topical. It's it's last night was God, we are grieving. Yeah. God, we don't understand. It's um in prayer publicly, which I really appreciate. Yes, totally. Saying it out loud. And, you know, we're live streaming. We're not together. But if we were all together, really like corporately mm-hmm. saying like, we are grieving. We don't understand. We feel severed from the rest of the church, but we're still praying for your church. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an honesty session often. Um, I always lead. I led three songs, um, you know, including We Three Kings. Um, hmm. And it was just... It was also interesting because um, Stephanie, my coworker, she she was in a lot of back pain and she had a stand and it was just this, it was a weird night, right? And she powered through her own physical pain to finish this prayer service and it's really meaningful to me. And I don't want to say it was especially profound what we did. What was profound about it was just worshiping our creator amidst all of this um toxic news and all this this helplessness it was you know and it's my job but man i wanted to be there last night Hmm. is where i needed to be um i needed to say the lord's prayer corporately yeah you know even if i couldn't hear the people saying it on the live stream because you know they're in their living rooms um i'll tell you what praying that prayer every service with other people in times like this it is like, it's so, it's so good. It's so unbelievably good. It's so, I, can't, I don't know why I keep wanting to saying uh, punk rock. <laughs> so punk rock. Um, well, there, there is a, you know, there's a real prophetic tradition to both Judaism and Christianity that it never, it, that's one of the, the most egregious things about Christian nationalism is that it pretends that God aligns with, uh, you know, a particular nation or a party within that nation or leader within that nation. And the gospel, as well as biblical Judaism, are thoroughly allergic to that kind of allegiance. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons I feel confident saying it's not Christianity, because it's just, it's at its core, it's so antithetical to those core, um, that core prophetic tradition. And so, yeah, I could see how that would be powerful. It makes me think that, like, one of the things I need as I mourn this stuff is, is liturgy. And Absolutely. actually it's, it's feeling like a really bad time to not be able to be in church. I, I remember, you know, we left our, our church of 10 years over, you know, I, th- I think for good reason. But one of the things that that church did very well, even though I, I think they don't do sexuality very well, they did race very well for a mostly white church, you know, in a mostly white city. Um, even before hiring an African-American pastor who is, uh, I just love, who's the total shit, even before that, like really, really praying through and processing like the Charleston shooting and other uh, other sort of um, events leading up to, you know, eventually the, the massive protests in the spring and summer. And, you know, each of those news events, those those uh, sad killings of of, you know, unarmed black men. And that, that was like, it was formative for us to be in the service during those, those weeks where our pastor is weeping and we are all feeling so shitty about the state of, you know, black Americans lives and, 
and do having that in the liturgy. And, and this is probably why the lament Psalms and the book of lamentations and the parts of the Bible that are about defeat, they're about losing. They're about being persecuted about, you know, like being on the bad end of things. They're not, um, they're not exciting. They're not celebratory. They're in there for a reason. And, uh, there's a certain kind of, uh, Christian, a certain kind of Christian nationalism can't abide any of that ambiguity and needs to always be exultant. Um, and that's not just a Christian nationalism thing. I think there's an issue with that in evangelicalism as well. Um, the wanting people to feel good and find a community, you know, that sometimes can be at the expense of going deep on real human experience that people need to process. So, okay, that's enough of my own sermonizing. That's my take on what you said. I wish I had a good liturgy to uh, honestly, to close us with. Um, I wish I did. I wish I would encourage people to, to look up grief liturgy, look up. There probably have been in the last weeks and will be soon new liturgy written for this very thing. It's not that hard to find. Yeah. And to do it with a few other people, like in your household, can be really good. Um, well, I have an idea. I think I'm going to close us with your song "Absentee Heartbeat," even though it's about it's about a miscarriage and not a, a nation in decline. It relates. It's grief. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a great song. I'll, I'll just I'll close the episode with that. That's how we'll end it. All right, John Van Dusen. Thank you so much, man. Uh, people can hear your records. We talked about them a lot more in our previous episode. Um, but thanks for joining me today, and thanks for being willing to pivot on our topic. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for letting me process in real time. It's uh and I hope everybody knows that. Like this I, I was oh, yeah. tr- truly processing right now and I, I just Me too. Man, I know I'm saying things that they already know, but I really would encourage anybody listening to just <laughs> find somebody to talk to. Yeah. So Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for talking with me. I, I feel I do feel better. Um yeah, we just we just took our own uh, medicine. We just did it and recorded it. We but did. We just did what we said people should do. We did it together in real time. All right. So thanks again. And this is uh, Absentee Heartbeat by John Van Dusen. Absentee Heartbeat It's all we have to go on The look on their faces Told me that you were gone And there go all the things we planned All the things we planned There go all the things we planned for you And there go all the things we planned All the things we planned There go all the things we planned for you But it's not over It just gets
Your tiny body sleeps under the holly tree. Your mom planted flowers so you wouldn't get lonely. And there go all the things we planned. Absentee heartbeat, it's all we have to go on. The look on their faces told me that you were gone. Shop Amazon for last minute gifts. Great deals for everyone on your list. Gifts for mom and gifts for dad. Even for your sister and your brother, Chad. Ah, shoot, we didn't realize we were supposed to get a gift for our dog walker guy. We almost forgot about our dentist, Dr. Kerr. We didn't expect to get a gift from her. Or our cousin, I forget his name. He got us something nice, better reciprocate. For last minute deals on gifts for people you forgot. Get past the free shipping at 